Hey, this is Stephen, and I want to welcome you or welcome you back to the Grove Church Podcast. For more information or to find more resources like this one, be sure to visit us at grove.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope the following message is encouraging and meaningful to your life. Well, good morning and welcome to The Grove. We are so glad that you're with us today. My name is Stephen Lohoffer and I'm one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you to week nine. That is right. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Week nine of our series all about the book of Exodus. Now, if you were new to us, uh, we don't normally spend nine weeks talking about a particular idea or a particular passage of scripture, but this one's a little different. This one we've chosen Uh, Because we believe that the story of Exodus isn't just an isolated story that exists among all of the other stories of Scripture. That the story of Exodus isn't just some ancient story that happened a long time ago uh, and that we occasionally pick up and look at and talk about. No, we believe that the story of Exodus is actually an important part of a much larger story of Scripture. The story of God calling His people out out from one place and into a new and into a better place. But it's not just a story that stops in the pages of Scripture. It's a story that continues to unfold today and continues to unfold in our own lives. It has been uncanny to me the ways over the last eight weeks that we have seen the relevance between the events of Exodus, the truths, kind of these timeless pieces of wisdom that we've been talking about and uncovering and where we find ourselves in this very moment in time. Between the current events that we experience and the events of Exodus and the way that they seem to speak to each other. And I think we're going to find the same is true today. Now, what this story of Exodus has all been about, just to catch you up if you're joining us for the first time, is the story of God taking his people the descendants of the family of Abraham, taking them out of slavery in Egypt and taking them to a new place, a place that's promised for them, a place where God is going to do what he has been trying to do in the world to create a community, to create a group of people who live in relationship to him and use that same relationship to be in relationship with one another. Now, it's important that we emphasize where God is taking them out of. God is taking this people and bringing them out of captivity, slavery, oppression, pain, suffering, loneliness, heartache, sadness, sorrow, all of the worst adjectives that you could pile on. That would be how we would characterize life in Egypt. And God says, I have something so much better for you. And he brings them out of this place of Egypt And this is the story that we find ourselves in, the process of God drawing them out of Egypt and bringing them into a new place. Now, in all of the different moments and parts and vignettes of the story of Exodus, we're at perhaps the most famous one. You could kind of give it a toss up between the one we talked about a couple of weeks ago and today. But today we're going to be talking about uh, the Ten Commandments, this kind of law, these words that God gives to his people. Now, this is an important moment, not just in the story of Exodus, but this is an important moment both in the story of Scripture and in the pages of history. You could make a really strong case that the document of the Ten Commandments is the single most important document in the history of the world. 
You can make the argument that the Ten Commandments is what all of Western civilization is founded on. It inserted new morality and new ethics into a world that had never been seen or experienced before. And we are still living out those same um, points of importance, those same uh, ways of thinking and feeling and operating about the world. And so the Ten Commandments is this highly significant moment. But I think what happens with anything that feels a little bit familiar is familiarity breeds unfamiliarity. We get so accustomed to it, we hear the stories, we know how it goes, that we actually start to become a little unfamiliar with it. And as familiarity leads to unfamiliarity, unfamiliarity breeds contempt. And we actually get to a place, I think maybe, maybe many of us feel this way, that we look at the Ten Commandments as like this thing that happened long ago that actually doesn't have any meaning or relevance for us in our lives today. And nothing could be further from the truth. I think both in our immediate lives and as I look at the world as it stands right now, the state of our world, the state of our nation, the state of our community, we need the Ten Commandments more than ever. And so today we're going to walk through this passage and look at how all of these events unfolded and why the Ten Commandments are just so important, not only then, but for our lives as well. So we're going to pick up in chapter 19 of the book of Exodus. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to read to you the setup for this set of instructions that God gives to his people. So God has brought them out of slavery in Egypt. They've wandered through the wilderness and they found themselves at the foot of this mountain called Mount Sinai. And it's at this place that God invites Moses to come up to the top of the mountain, a mountain that's covered in smoke and cloud and lightning and fire, this kind of ominous scene. And Moses makes his way up the mountain because God tells Moses that when he comes to the top of the mountain, that God will give Moses the instructions for all of Israel to live by. This is going to be kind of like the rule book, the guidebook, the instruction manual for how I want you to live. But before he gives them that, he tells them why he's giving them this. And I think the why is really important for us today. So here we are at the beginning of chapter 19. The Lord called to Moses from the mountain. This is what you should say to Jacob's household and declare to the Israelites. You saw what I did to the Egyptians and how I lifted you up on eagles' wings and brought you to me. So now, if you faithfully obey me and stay true to my covenant, you will be my most precious possession out of all the peoples. Since the whole earth belongs to me, you will be a kingdom of priests for me and a holy nation. If you faithfully obey me and stay true to my covenant, you will be my most precious possession out of all the peoples. You will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now the reason God is about to give the Israelites the instructions, the Ten Commandments, and then all of the other commandments that will follow after, the reason that he gives them this is because he's trying to provide for them a system and a mechanism for which they can live their lives different from the way that all of the other peoples live their lives. He's trying to give them a new set of um, instructions for how life is supposed to go, what it means to be human, what it means to be in relationship with one another, what it means to conduct your businesses, what it means to be a group of people. 
that looks dramatically different, completely antithetical to how life looked in Egypt. They're going to be something different. They're not just going to be any other nation. They're just not going to be any other group of people. It's not like, all right, just, you know, call yourself average Joes and out we go. And here we got a new thing going on. No, no, this is a special group of people. God says, if, if you're faithful, if you listen to my instructions and you uphold your end of the covenant, this kind of partnership, this commitment to one another, you'll be a nation of priests. You'll be a holy people. Now, when we hear nation of priests, that sounds a little strange. And some of us, we don't have the best association with the term priest. But really what God's trying to communicate in that statement, that you'll be a nation of priests, you'll be a holy people, is that they'll be set apart. They'll be different. They'll look different. They'll sound different. They'll act different from all of the other people in a way, not just different to be different, but different so that people will be drawn to God. It's like a mechanism that they see the way that the Israelites live, recognize that it's something different, something above and beyond anyone else chooses to do. They say, wow, that's a really high standard of life. That feels a little unnecessary. You don't have to be so strict and stringent with the way that you live. But they see that and they say, but yet, there's something oddly compelling about the way that they live. The goal and the hope would be that as you come in contact with these Israelites, you start to think, man, I'd like to hire one of them to work for me. Or, wow, I'd really like to work for one of these people. Or I'd love for my son to marry them or my daughter to marry them. I'd love to have them as friends because there's something about them that's different. There's something about them that's in a way special and better and set apart in a way that draws people towards God. This is the whole purpose behind why God gives the commandments to the Israelites that he does is it's for a reason. It's not because God is mean and he just imposes a bunch of rules, but it's because he knows that if they follow these rules, it will transform them into better, healthier people that then draw people into relationship with God. Now, parents, you understand this kind of just intrinsically. Now, my guess is if you have small children or even if you have older children, your children at times might adopt the position that, wow, mom or dad, you're really strict with the rules that you, that you give to us. Limitations on you know, how much screen time we can have, limitations on the food we can eat, the quantities of, of which that we can eat, when we can eat those foods, how late we can stay up, all of these things that feel like oppressive limitations on life. Well, you don't do it to be mean. You don't set these things over your children just because you like and enjoy torturing them or making their life more difficult. No, no, no. It's actually the exact opposite. It's based on love because you know that these limitations actually provide for a higher quality of life. If left to your, your children's devices, they would eat junk food or ice cream all day, every day. They would eat goldfish until they threw up. I mean, this is just kind of the natural gravitational pull of their desires and their behavior. And so knowing that about them, you set limitations and you set rules that lead to their betterment and to their development and ultimately to their health and well-being. This is why later on in the Psalms, it will talk about how, how the law of the Lord, the commandments of God lead to life. They're like honey on our lips because they promote our betterment. They promote our well-being. This is the same thing that's happening here. 
God's like, listen, I need you to be different. I need you to be set apart. I need you to be like a group of priests, a nation that is holy, so that it will draw all people, and through you, you can bless all people in my name. So that's the setup. Let's jump into the actual commandments. Now, there are 10 of them. Probably not a surprise. My guess is we're really familiar with the Ten Commandments. We've known about the Ten Commandments, where you, whether you've had any history in church or not. My guess is you may not be able to name more than five. So I'm going to give you a moment. We're going to play this game all together at home. And I want you to rattle off as fast as you can as many of the Ten Commandments as you can in the next 15 seconds. So it's going to be a little quiet, and then you get to go. On your mark, you set, Go. All right, how many you got? Okay, anybody got more than four? You got six seconds left. Anybody got more than seven? How many commandments can you name? Keep score at home. Okay, time's up. Ten commandments. Now, we understand this as commandments. The way that it actually translates in Hebrew is the ten words. And so historians and you know, biblical archaeologists kind of have come to the opinion that this was probably some version of 10 words that you could count on your fingers for an easy memorization tool. Now, these are going to be explained in sentences. This is probably the version that we're familiar with, but it'd be really easy to understand how these could be interpreted as just 10 words. So, and God spoke all these words, saying, this is in chapter 20, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. No God. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is under the water or under the earth. No idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. No name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Remember the Sabbath. Go Sabbath. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Honor mom and dad. You shall, cannot, you shall not murder. No murder. You shall not commit adultery. No adultery. You shall not steal. No steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. No lying. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's, no covet. So there we are. There are the Ten Commandments. These are the ten rules, the primary rules that God gives to the people of Israel. Now, you could make a really good case that these are the only rules that anybody would need in life. That if any group of people, any country, any tribe, any nation lived by these ten it would be wholly sufficient. There would not be any gaps. But what you see happening is 
There needs to be some clarification. There needs to be some extrapolation because there are certain times there are special circumstances and how does this law interpret in this, in this place? Well, well, what does it mean in this way? And this was a normal process. This is the same thing that we have in the Supreme Court. We have the Constitution. People wonder how the Constitution applies in certain situations and things get brought up to the Supreme Court for a judgment and ruling on, okay, based on the Constitution, how do we understand the way that that law works and manifests in this particular specific context? Same thing happens with the Ten Commandments. But here are the ten. Now, we're so familiar with these ten that we miss what was so important about them. When God gave them to the Israelites, when God gives this rule, this set of 10 words, this list of laws that they're supposed to follow, it was this unbelievable jump forward in ethics and morality. I mean, an unbelievable like light year jump ahead in the way that people had to conduct themselves in the limits that it placed on power and in the support and the betterment that it provided for people who were weak and without power. I can't stress this enough. There's almost no way for me to create an, an analogy that would make sense to you. I mean, we're talking about thousands upon thousands of years ago, God gave the people of Israel a set of rules that even in our current morality, we are still struggling to get right. We are still struggling to understand as individuals. We are still struggling to comply with as people. We are still butting up against this as a nation. I mean, this was four or 5,000 years ago and we are still wrestling with this. But at the time, this was unbelievably progressive, not in the political sense, but in the way that it moved things forward in a dramatic way. If you can imagine that God tries to move people from wherever they are to where he wants them to go next. If you're on letter A, God's trying to move you to letter B or C. And if you're on letter D or E, God tries to move you to letter F or G. He's constantly trying to move you forward in the way that you understand what it means to be human. This was a light year jump. This was like from letter A all the way to letter M. Just this huge jump in the way that it provided for the weak and the powerless and the vulnerable. Just take, for example, commandment number four. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Now, part of this is about God recognizing and identifying the need for rest and rhythm in our own lives. My guess is many of us today, this is the part of the commandment that we have to pay attention to because it is so easy for us to be focused on producing, 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 achieving, 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 creating, 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 ensuring that life is good for all of the people that we're responsible for, that we forget to rest. And that's important. And that's why the commandments are still relevant today. And listen to the limitations that it placed on, on the production back in that context. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day you rest. But not just you. Your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, the foreigner or the sojourner who's within your gates. Not just the wealthy, not just the powerful, not just the person in charge gets a day off. Everybody gets a day off. Why? Why? Remember where God has brought them out of. 
The reason these commandments exist, the reason that they looked at the way they do, is because God is trying to take his people out of Egypt. What did we find in Egypt? The Israelites, they were in slavery. Every day they worked. Every day they labored. There was no end to the injustice and the oppression and all of the undue service that they had to do without any choice, without any rest, without any opportunity to be human. God recognizes this. And God says, what I'm trying to do in the world is antithetical to what happened in Egypt. It is the exact opposite of where you just came out of. The natural gravitational pull is to take advantage of those who are weaker than you, to see opportunities and exploitation opportunities, to take advantage, to make sure that you get more and others get less. It's not because uh, we intend to hurt people, but that's just a natural gravitational pull. Power leads to acquiring more power. Wealth leads to acquiring more wealth, and on and on and on it goes. This is the same path and trajectory for people as it is for nations. And God's saying very clearly, what we're doing here has to look dramatically different from where you just came out of. And so back in Egypt, when you were slaves, you worked all day, every day without any rest. In this new place I'm bringing you, there's gonna be rest. And not just for those of you who are in charge, there's gonna be rest for everyone your sons and daughters, your servants who have no uh, opportunity to have any power or say in what they do, even the animals. Everybody is provided for. Everybody is taken care of. God's economy and God's ordering of the world and the universe looks different than the way that Egypt looks. And this happens again and again and again. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet. These are all limitations to protect the weak, to protect the vulnerable, to limit the amount of power that people can have and the way that they can use that power to exploit and take advantage of those who are lesser or less powerful than them. God is doing something brand new in the world. And it is so easy for us to miss it. Now here's what happens next. God gives them these rules, and these rules lead to a set of another group of rules, another 50 rules. And by the time we get a couple of, couple of books of the Bible later, by the time that the people of Israel finally make it into the promised land, we have over 600 rules, 600 interpretations, and specific instances of the way these rules manifest and these commandments manifest in their own lives. Well, here's what happens. Inevitably, we see the rules, we understand that these are the boundaries, and so as people, we're really clever in figuring out how we can follow the rules and still get what we want that the rules attempt to prevent us from getting. So imagine you're in the car with your children, your children are in the back seat, and your two kids keep hitting each other. And you're like, stop it, knock it off, quit touching your brother. And so then one of the children comes up with a workaround for the rule. Instead of touching his brother, he just holds his finger half an inch in front of his brother's face. Well, yes, he's following the rules. He's not touching his brother. But no, he's missed the point of the rule. It's leave your brother alone. Quit bothering him. Quit making his life frustrating and quit being irritating. 
This is the same thing that the people of Israel do. It's the same thing that we do. We have whole professions dedicated to figuring out the workarounds around the laws and the legal system, around the tax code, around the real estate codes. We do this. We want to know where the rules are and how we can navigate the rules to still get what we want. But here's what it does. When we do this, when we live this way, when we say, hey, I'm following the rules, we end up violating the spirit of the rules. So we follow the letter of the law, but we violate the spirit of the law. We miss the whole point for why the rules exist in the first place. The rules are not just arbitrary. The rules are not just random. And God's saying, all right, here, figure out how to live life throughout all of these different rules and laws. No, the rules are intended for a very specific purpose because by following them, you end up living a life that looks dramatically different. And so if you end up following the rules, but your life doesn't look any different, then you've missed the purpose of the rules in the first place. And so Jesus comes along thousand years later to clarify all of this. They gather him together and they say, Jesus, tell us of all of the 600 plus rules and laws, which one is the greatest? They're trying to figure out based on their own conversations, what workarounds exist within the law. Jesus answers very simply, instead of talking about the letter of the law, and giving them some legal workaround, Jesus goes right to the spirit and to the heart of the law. And he says, the first and greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And they're ready to be like, yes, knew it. And then he goes, and a second is like it. And they're like, whoa, wait a minute. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, all of the law, And all of the prophets hang on these two commandments. Everything is about these two spirits that exist underneath all of the law. Loving God and loving your neighbor. You can even break up the Ten Commandments this way. You can look at the first four commandments or the first three commandments, depending on how you want to divide it up, and understand that the spirit of the law underneath those is all about the ways that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then the other six or seven commandments is all about the way that we love our neighbor as ourself. Because all of the laws hang on this purpose. You see, what, is, what we end up missing with trying to follow the rules is that we think following the rules is the point. And that's not the point. The point is that the rules guide us towards an inner transformation. They begin to work on our heart. When we understand and follow the spirit of the law, as opposed to the letter of the law, it begins to change the way that we see people. If instead of trying to figure out a workaround for how you can actually work people seven days a week, if you understand that underneath that rule and underneath that law and commandment is the understanding that people have dignity, that people have worth, and that we can't violate that no matter how much we want wealth or power or fame or success, that there need to be natural limitations in life because if left to our own devices, we end up building Egypts again and again and again. You know, after about the third century AD, we see Christian nation after Christian nation being the dominant empire in the world over and over and over and over. 
these nations that claim the set of principles that are ultimately founded on the Ten Commandments. And what do we see again and again and again? They end up looking like Egypt. Oppression, injustice, mistreatment of people, wealth, power being accumulated by fewer and fewer at the expense of more and more. This is what I fear may be happening in our world today. We have stopped following the rules. We have stopped following the spirit of the commandments that we've been given. And we've been looking at all of these workarounds and ways that we can live the life that we want to live independent of the rules that God has given us. And in doing that, we failed to do the one thing that God's asked us to do. To be different. To be set apart. To be holy. Now that was a purpose that God gave the people of Israel. But it's no different than the purpose of his church. The purpose of his church was to be Christ's embodiment here in the world. And so for anyone who claims to be a Christian, I'd ask you, how are you doing on the commandments? Not just the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. In what ways maybe do you need to reevaluate the way that you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? What ways do you need to reevaluate the way that you love your neighbor as yourself? The laws don't make us right with God, but they are the path that lead to rightness with God. See, Jesus already did all of that for us. It's not about a test and how many answers you get right. That's not what these are for. These exist to show us what someone who lives their life in devotion to God should look like. This is what God says at the very beginning to the people of Israel. He says, listen, if you're going to be in relationship with me, this is what it will look like. You won't murder. You won't cheat. You won't steal. You won't lie. You won't work people to death. You won't take advantage of the weak. You won't exploit the poor. You'll care for people. You'll build them up. You'll create better opportunities for those, even at the expense of the opportunities for yourself. You will look fundamentally different than every other nation in the world, than every other group of people in the world. Why? Because when left to our own devices, we become Egypt. And God is trying to lead us out of that place. God is trying to lead us somewhere new, to be something different, to be something set apart. So my question to us today is, are we willing to take inventory of our lives, our choices, our decisions, our thoughts, our actions, our behavior? And how do we stack up? Are we following the letter but missing the spirit? Are we not even following the, the letter of the law? God is always drawing us into a new place. And for some of us, maybe it's evaluating our lives and realize that we just got to start following the letter of the law. We got to get some of these commandments in order. We got to start, you know, lying less and cheating less and stealing less and honoring people more. And for others of us, yeah, we do those things, but we don't do it in the spirit in which those things were intended. And so for us, we have to evaluate our heart and say, all right, God, search me. Make me clean, make me new. Realign all of my loves and desires to be that of you. Let me love you with my heart and mind and soul and strength and let me love my neighbor as myself. It's really hard to claim that we're a follower of Christ if nothing in our life reflects it. That's the point of the rules and the laws that God gave the people of Israel. 
that there would be a conduct, there would be an example, a manifestation of their inward obedience, of their inward alignment to God reflected in their outward life. My prayer would be this would be the same for us. Now more than ever, our world, our nation, and our community need a group of people who are willing to live their lives differently. They need a group of people who are willing to stand up and to say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to take advantage. I'm not going to exploit. I'm going to make different choices. I'm going to make different priorities. Even if that means I look different than my friends, even if it means I stand out from the crowd, that's what we're called to be. That's what we're called to do, to love God and to love others and to do it in a way that's clear and obvious. That's my prayer for us as a people. It's my prayer for us as a church. So let me pray over our time together that all of this would be true. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to come before you, to have a conversation about who you've called us to be and the ways that we fall short. God, realign us to your purpose in our life. Realign us to the opportunity that we have to live a life devoted to you, to live a life that loves, builds up, that supports and honors others. God, we want to be different. We want to stand out. We want to be set apart so that others may see us and glorify you in the process. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Dallas area, we would love for you to visit us. For directions, service times, and more info, visit us at grove.org. 